Many years ago, a close friend of mine, Tara, called me about an incident with her father and her two-year-old daughter, Nina. They'd been out for a stroll in the park when Nina suddenly became unglued, screaming and wailing to go home. Tara did what she could, but Nina remained inconsolable. After about half an hour, Tara announced, We have to go. I'm sorry. Her father shot her a stern look, warning, If you leave every time she pitches a fit, she'll think the world revolves around her. Tara, fuming, fired back, Yes, yes she will, and I think that's a good thing, don't you? On the surface, this father-daughter quarrel was a generational battle over how to raise a child. But at a deeper level, their argument reflects two radically different views of human nature. Tara's dad seems to believe people are easily corruptible, requiring constant reining in to avoid becoming hopelessly self-centered, while Tara thinks we're all made of sturdier stuff and actually benefit from a little self-absorption now and then. The first position inevitably adopts a rather dim view of humanity, the latter a more optimistic one. Without realizing it, Tara and her father had squared off in one of the oldest debates in history, one that's central to the confusion surrounding narcissism today. The Birth of Narcissism Long before the word narcissism had been coined, philosophers fought just as fiercely as Tara and her father over the place of the self in our moral priorities. In 350 BC, Aristotle posed a question. Who should the good man love more, himself or others? And answered it, The good man is particularly selfish. In India, two centuries earlier, the Buddha had spread the opposite view. The self is an illusion, a trick our minds play on us to make us think we matter. Buddhism suggested that this illusory self should never be our primary focus. Four centuries after Aristotle, Christian teachings added a negative Philip, making too much of oneself constitutes the sin of pride and a quick path to hell. Excesses of the self underlie other sins, sloth, greed, gluttony, and envy as well. Down through the centuries, the debate raged, engaging philosophers from Thomas Hobbes, self-love is part of brutish human nature, to Adam Smith, Self-interest benefits society, a.k.a. greed is good. It wasn't until the end of the 19th century, however, that the debate entered into the circles of medicine and psychology, and the word narcissism first appeared. In 1898, pioneering British sexologist Havelock Ellis described patients who'd literally fallen in love with themselves, sprinkling their bodies with kisses from their own lips and masturbating to excess as suffering from a narcissus-like ailment. One year later, a German doctor, Paul Necke, writing about similar sexual perversions, coined the catchier term narcissism. But it was the founding father of psychoanalysis, Sigmund Freud, who in 1914 made the word famous in a groundbreaking paper on narcissism in Introduction. He liberated the term from its sexual connotations, unusual for him, describing narcissism instead as a necessary developmental stage of childhood. As infants, Freud wrote, we're convinced the world originates in us, at least all the exciting parts of it. We literally fall in love with ourselves, giddy with all the fascinating and sexy things we seem capable of.
He called this stage primary narcissism and felt it wasn't just healthy, but also crucial to our capacity to form meaningful, close relationships. Our passion for ourselves as infants gives us the energy to reach out to others. We have to overestimate our own importance in the universe before we can see anyone else as important. But Freud didn't quite know what to make of narcissism beyond infancy. Was it good or bad for adults? On the one hand,